Greetings. As uh, you know, Pastor John said, my name is John Pope, and I am a pastoral resident over at uh, Gateway. And so greetings from the saints at Gateway to the saints here at Peoria. And glad to be with you. I'm also part of the most important, one of the most important parts of my life besides Jesus, the most important part besides Jesus, which is greetings from the Pope Pack. That's my family. Um, I have four little ones. I have three girls and one boy and my wife, Amy. We've been together uh, we've known each other for 14 years, and I am more in love with her today than I was when I first met her. She's just an amazing woman. I hope you all get to meet her someday. She's just such a gift from the Lord. So um, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 16, as Pastor John uh, mentioned. So you can go ahead and start turning there in your Bible, or maybe you're already there, and just kind of get yourself resituated. And as I was thinking about this text this week, and think about like, okay, how does this kind of translate to our cultural moment, our historical moment, you know, what's, what's kind of going on in this text and what's going on in our culture? Here's the image that kind of came to my mind, that over the past five to ten years, I don't know if, if this has been heavy on your heart, but it's certainly been heavy on my heart, that we've seen a lot of pastoral collapses, right? It's all over the news, right? Uh, you know, word gets out of People who are celebrity pastors or spiritual leaders that have had big ministries for a long time, or even at a personal level, like pastors that we know, right, have collapsed and fallen. And what it's left the people of God with is just kind of, they're, they're in this kind of frantic, frenzy state. And as I have friends all over the country, I have friends who are all over the globe who are Christians, I've seen quite a few different responses to these collapses. That some people have just become numb to it. And they just say, look, I'm done with this. I've seen so many of these. I'm just tired. Like, I just don't care anymore. There are other people that their response has been, hey, I'm just going to stick my head in the sand and act like it's not even going on. <laughs> you know? Like, somebody tell me I'm not, nope, I don't want to hear about it. Others have become isolated Christians. Right? They say, okay, look, you know, I love Jesus. I love the the the." thoughts and the heart of Christianity, I just don't want anything to do with the church. I don't want anything to do with big Christianity. I'm just going to kind of be a Christian by myself in my little pocket of the world and do the best I can. Others have started deconstructing and saying, like, I don't know what to believe anymore. All these people who, who taught me all these cool and amazing things for years, that I don't even know if I can trust anybody now. And they're just deconstructing their faith. Some want to justify the behavior of these leaders, and say, oh, well, but they did this, and God did this through them, and so we can kind of look over it because they, God did amazing things through them. And then others, you know, have become hyper-vigilant, right? I've particularly seen this with a lot of my pastor friends, right, where they have to say, oh, is that another one over there? Is that another one over there? We've got to guard Christianity. We won't want these people coming back through our doors. And they become hyper-vigilant. And so the responses have been all over the place. And I'm sure there's responses that I'm leaving out. <laughs> but these are just a few of the responses I've seen. And so we, we're kind of left asking ourselves, like, what is the response? What should we do? How should we respond to pastoral collapses, to spiritual leaders who collapse, who fall? And I think our text today talks about that. I think that's the, the goal of this text is that God wants to provide us some relief, some comfort, some alleviation to how to process through the fall of a spiritual leader. 
And so if there's one big idea, if there's one main theme that I think we should take away from this text, that I think God wants us to take away from this text, is this. We can endure dark hours of fear and agony because God faithfully provides through his spirit. We can endure dark hours of fear and agony, pain and suffering because we still believe, despite the leaders that come and go, God will faithfully provide through his Holy Spirit. He will bring alleviation and comfort into our hearts. And so let me pray for us, and then let's get into it, okay? Father, help us in this moment with so many spiritual leaders, so many pastors rising and falling, that we would trust you, that you're still at work, that you're still on the move, that you're still providing for your people, despite the leaders that come and go. You are faithful. You will not fall. Help us to believe that in this hour, in this moment. Help us to provide that comfort to others who are in dark seasons of the soul. And I pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. We lift him high this morning. All right, so let's, let's kind of have our, our 24 recap moment, like what's happened up to this point, right? <laughs> okay, where are we at in the text? I, I know if I'm anything like you, like I haven't been preaching much lately, so sometimes I forget like, okay, where are we, you know, in 1 Samuel? Right, so let's, let's have our 24 moment recap, okay? So essentially what's happened up to this point is this, this young boy has come along named Samuel, his mother prayed for him and asked that, you know, that God would give her a son, and, and he does, and raises up Samuel the prophet, and he kind of takes over uh, for a guy, and uh, the people come to Samuel one day, and they say, hey, we want a king like the other nations, right? The request to have a king wasn't necessarily the worst thing in the world, but they, it was the fact that they wanted a king like the other nations that really made it bad, okay? Uh, and so Samuel gets all out of bend, out of shape about this. Like, he's grieving, he's mourning, and God comes, and he says, hey, Samuel, don't take this personal, right? It's not you. It's me that they're rejecting, okay? And so give them their king, and uh, we'll work through it, right? And so Samuel is given the task to go find the first king of Israel, and he finds a guy named Saul. And Saul, when he pops on the scene, is, I mean, he's tall, he's good-looking, he's wealthy, you know, he's like everything that we would expect a leader to look like, right? And he, he seems very impressive, and he does some good things right away. Like, they come under a threat from the Ammonites, and he delivers them from the Ammonites. And so Saul's like on this good trajectory. The Holy Spirit rushes upon him. He prophesies. He sings songs and all these different kinds of things very early on. And he's on a good trajectory. But quickly, Saul starts to fall. He starts to decline. I mean, it's like overnight, it feels like in the text, that he just quickly to, decides to descend into darkness. And so Samuel and Saul kind of kind of keep getting into it, right? And we've ended it like in chapter 15 where they're in this big argument that's big public. I mean, words probably spread throughout the entire nation that God's main prophet in Israel, God's main spiritual leader, and God's, you know, slash spiritual political leader are now at odds with one another. And so how has this left the whole state, the whole nation of Israel? They're all up in a frenzy. They're all frantic. And how has it left Samuel? Like, he's the guy who chose Saul to lead God's people. How has it left him? It's left him grieving and disappointed. 
And so I read one commentator this week that kind of gives us, I think, a good picture of where Samuel's at, which is probably also where the nation is at at this point. Here's what it said. Samuel had a vision of a king that he had gotten from his mother, Hannah. So you mothers out there, look what you can do for your children. Provide them a good image of what God wants to see. He looked for a king who would be faithful to God and faithful to his people and who would trust God and teach his people to do the same, who would use his power to bless and serve others, promoting justice and lifting up the needy. M25, right? Saul was not that king. The one he had hoped in has been exposed as a fraud. Think of the disappointment he must have felt in trusting in someone so deeply only to be left with false promises and unfulfilled dreams. Is Samuel going through what we're at in this cultural moment? Yeah. He's watched this political, spiritual leader who's supposed to lead God's people into prosperity to, to look out for the needy and those in distress to carry God's people forward, and now he's been a massive disappointment. Samuel's reeling. The nation is reeling. They're in a frenzy. Which brings us to our first section here. In verses 1 through 5, okay, is that what we have here is the fear of frenzy, the fear of a frantic state. Look what it says once again in verse 1 that John read for us earlier, that the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being the king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king among his sons. And then listen to Samuel's response to this. This tells us the condition of Samuel's heart of where he's at. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears, he will kill me. This is a man afraid. He's saying, Saul is on edge. He's unstable. I don't know the condition of his heart. He could take me out in a moment. And now this is not just Samuel's state of his heart. Let's skip down to verse 4. What's the state of the people's heart? Saul finally does go. He goes to what God tells him to do. He goes to Bethlehem. And look at the response of verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord commanded. He came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came out to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? So not only is Samuel grieved and is he in this frantic, frenzy state, is he afraid of what Saul's going to do, but the people are also afraid. They know about this tension between Saul and Samuel. Everybody's in this fearful, confused, frantic state. And it reminds me that I'm a, I don't know if we have any fans of this in the room, but I'm a big Star Wars fan. Okay, like, yeah, I mean, let's go Star Wars. I mean, it's been ruined pretty much by Disney anyway, but, uh, but the originals are good. Um, so, and that's what I'm going to press into. I'm going to press into the originals, okay? So that if, if you're familiar with the story of what I believe one of the greatest villains in cinematic history is Darth Vader, right? I mean, James Earl Jones, that voice, I mean, that's just amazing, right? <laughs> and if you follow the trajectory of... Vader's story. He starts as this young boy. He's, he's discovered by this legendary Jedi named Qui-Gon Jinn, right? And then Qui-Gon dies, and he, he says before his death, he's like, he, he takes his disciple, and he says, hey, Obi-Wan, you've got to promise me that you're going to train up this boy right. Like, he's got a ton of potential. He's a super talented Jedi. We've got to train him up right so that his 
his powers can be used for good and not for evil. And so Obi-Wan promises, and so, and Obi-Wan is this legendary Jedi, right? Like, I mean, he is just famous. Most people who even even heard of Star Wars have heard of Obi-Wan, right? Like, and he's mentored, so Anakin Skywalker is the disciple by Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Now, but we can see Anakin's a man torn apart, right? Like, throughout his story, you kind of, you get that. And by the time we get to the original series, you know, in A New Hope, Vader's got a reputation around town, right, across the galactic empire, right? He's descended into darkness. He's now become a dark lord. He's become Darth Vader. He's no longer Anakin Skywalker. And when people hear that Vader's going to come to their ship or to, you know, their base or their region of the galactic empire, what kind of state do they go into? Fear. Frenzy. Frantic. Okay? When they know Vader's going to hop on, on a video conference call. Hey, back in the day, in the 70s, they had video conference calls. They saw it coming, right? <laughs> they see he's going to come on a video conference call. What are they feeling? Fear, frantic, right? Because this is how Vader rules the empire, is by fear. That everybody knows Vader's unstable. He seems calm, cool, and collected, but at any moment, he could lose his temper and just choke you to death with the force, even across the galaxy. He has that kind of power. So you have a whole culture ruled by fear. And so this is what we see in Israel. Fear is across the land. We have this unstable man, Saul, and now everybody's ruled by fear. They're in this frantic state. And so what's God's solution to Samuel? Let's go back to verse 1. He says, fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehem, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. What God says to Samuel in his fearful, frantic state is something we all need to hear. Renew your calling. Keep the vision I gave you from your mother years ago on your heart. Don't give up on it. Don't we all need this when we get into those dark disappointment seasons where we feel like giving up and say, God, I don't know what you're doing. And God says, hey, I know it's tough. I know it's disappointing. Everything you poured your heart out into, it's not going well. But keep the faith. Renew your calling. Right? And a calling's not just some, you know, People going into pastoral ministry, I mean, calling, the word vocation we get, right, in our modern language means calling in the Latin. Whatever place that you're placed into, it is your calling. You're a stay-at-home mom, that's your calling. You're working in the business world, that's your calling. Wherever God has placed you, that's your call. And when it gets dark and gloomy, God wants us to persevere in our calling knowing that we will keep carried along by his spirit. And so the question I think this text would ask us in these first few verses is, where is God calling you to endure in your calling? Right now, in this moment, where is God saying, persevere, hang in there? I've given you the Holy Spirit. You can endure this. Keep going. So we've seen the fear of frenzy. Now let's, let's look at 
the clarity of curiosity, the clarity of curiosity as we move into these next section of, of verses, right? That Samuel's response to that, as we saw, was to lean into his calling, right? Okay, I'm, God, you've, you've told me to renew my calling, this vision that my mother gave me years ago. I'm going to go back into it. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to be curious. So he goes and he looks and he explores, right? So he goes um, and he's looking for the next king of Israel. And he's told, you know, to go and offer sacrifices at Bethlehem. And he particularly asks the people of Bethlehem to make sure that the family of Jesse comes. And Jesse brings his family. And then in verse 6, he says, when he came to them, he looked at Eliab. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Right? So here's Samuel falling back into the same temptation. This guy's tall, he's good looking, he looks impressive. And Samuel's like, I got it, God. Yep, this dude's king material. I like it. Yes, I can see what you're going to do. And one of the most famous passages, if you've been in, you know, in Christianity for quite a while, you've probably heard this verse at some level, right? Look at verse 7. What's God's response to this? Samuel, don't get caught up in the same temptation. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Don't get so enamored with what looks so impressive on the front end. Because I have rejected him. And then here it is. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but Lord, the Lord looks on the heart. God looks at our personality. God looks at our character. He knows our inner being. He's more focused on that than what looks so impressive on the front end. And so... We have to keep this in mind, that what seems to be impressive to us may not be impressive to God. In fact, you know, so they bring all the sons out, right? All seven of them. And God says, nope, 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 nope. You got to imagine. I mean, Samuel, he's already disappointed because Saul's not. And then every guy he thinks that's going to be the next king, God keeps saying, no, 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 no. So Samuel gets to the point, he's like, oh, uh, I don't know what you're doing. He says to Jesse, like, do you have, like, any other sons? Am I missing something here? Right? And Jesse says, ah, yeah. Right? Um, it says, look at verse 11. It says, then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest. That Hebrew word youngest means more like tiniest. It means weak. It means runt of the family. Right? This is not someone who looks impressive, right? He's not tall, okay? Even the features that we think look good to our Western eyes here, as we go into verse 12, right? They sent and they brought him in, and he was ruddy, not a good, you know, that means like he was kind of like a janitor, okay? A mechanic, a waiter, <laughs> you know, waiting tables. Like, he's just got, like, this blue-collar kind of job, the, the type of job nobody wanted. He's out in the, the field taking care of the sheep. The, the beautiful eyes and, and handsome, these are pictures that, you know, as I was reading the scholars this week, that it's a picture of a cute little kid. These are not features that you'd be like, yeah, that's a king. <laughs> There's nothing impressive about this guy. He's completely unimpressive. And yet, God says, that's my guy. 
That's the next king of Israel. There's my guy. And so what does Samuel do in response? So Samuel took the horn of oil, renews his calling, anoints him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. There's his name for the first time from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And I love this little, little thing here, right? Like, so we have the curiosity. Samuel kind of keeps leaning in. He goes and looks for the next king. It's not working out, so he leans in again. He says, okay, is there anybody else? And then what does God provide? Clarity. There's my guy. Not getting so impressed with what the world's impressed with. And let's, let's go at the heart here. And then I love the response here. This, this little description right there at the end of verse 13. And so Samuel rose up and went back to home. <laughs> and where do you think David went? Back to the field. You see, even when we're curious and we lean into our calling and we get clarity, it doesn't mean that God's just going to call us out of the ordinary and into the extraordinary. Everybody just goes back home. I, I can remember when, when this happened in, in my life, I, I felt called to, to be a church planner when I was about 20, 20, 21 years old. Just a bunch of circumstances kind of came together, had some mentors in the faith who, who, who kind of pointed me in that direction and said, yeah, we think this is a, is a good fit for you. And friends, for the next decade, I didn't do anything extraordinary. Most of that time, I was finishing my undergrad, I was finishing my master's, waiting tables. Nothing impressive. Just called back into the ordinary. I feel like I'm sitting on my hands, like waiting, okay, Lord, when's my time coming? Sitting at the end of the bench, waiting for the coach to call me in. But yet, God works in the ordinary. Ordinary stuff is life. He's setting us up. And we don't know when God's going to change the trajectory of the course of our lives at any moment. And so for some of you in the room, maybe you've been anointed somewhere along the way. And God, somebody said to you, a fellow Christian, a fellow believer, I don't know how charismatic you guys are, but, you know, I can get a little charismatic. Grew up around a dad who was like a, you know, Pentecostal. My mom was a Baptocostal. That's the way she named herself, right? Has someone ever spoken anointing over you and said, I can see you doing this. I can see God doing this in you. And maybe you've gotten kind of caught up in the ordinary stuff of life and have forgotten your calling. So this is my reminder to you this morning. I think this is God's reminder to you, like, you're anointed. God's called you where you are. Embrace that clarity. Help it to let it refresh and renew your calling once again to have that kind of clarity and lean in and be curious. What does it look like to live out this calling in this cultural moment, in this historical time? And then the other thing I would say is maybe there's some of you in this room, you need to go anoint somebody else. Maybe there's a young teenager or a young kid or, you know, or even someone who's, who's now retired and doesn't know what life looks like moving forward. And maybe God's putting something on your heart that you need to go and be Samuel to them and anoint them 
and say, I can see God using you in this way in this season of your life. Set them on a trajectory. <laughs> and let's watch what God does. And then I think that the final thing that we should kind of consider in this section is like, may God just give us counter intuitions. Right? That what looks impressive, I, I've seen this with the church. I've been a Christian a long time, like almost 30 years. And I've seen the church get enamored with what seems impressive. Right? The charismatic leader, the intelligent speaker. And I'm just not as impressed as I've seen so many dudes rise and fall and collapse in on themselves, implode. I pray that God would give us fresh eyes to see what he sees. Right? All right, let's move into this final section. So we've seen the, 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 the fear of frenzy. We've seen the clarity of curiosity. Let's look at, finally, this final section. This is where Saul comes back in. The alleviation for the agonized. Okay? Alleviation for agonized. And so we, we see in 13 and 14 a contrast here, right? It says in verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So if you go back to 13, who is the spirit of the Lord rushed upon? David. Do you see the contrast, right? The spirit of God is coming more and more on David, and it's leaving further and further from Saul. And what's this done to Saul? It's left his soul tormented, right? He's in anguish. He's in agony, right? A harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him comes upon him. And so Saul is in this anguished, frantic, agonized state. He's tormented in his soul. And so he goes to his advisors and he says, hey, like, what, what can we do about this? Like, I'm, in, I'm tormented. Like, I'm in torture. Like, I'm in agony. I'm, you know, like, I'm afflicted in my soul. And what's the advisor's, you know, uh, encouragement to him? Saul, you know what you need? You need musical therapy. Hey, musical therapy is a real thing. I, I, I have a side counseling practice that I do. One of my clients is a musical therapist. Okay, it's a still a thing. It was a thing back then. It's a thing now. Musical therapy, right? And so Saul's like, okay, I'm bought in. Like, what do we, what do we need? Come, like, let's, let's, let's get this. Like, he's curious. He's leaning in, saying, all right, yeah. Musical therapy, who's going to do it for me? And we see that one of his um, advisors says in verse 18, well, one of the young men answered, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who's skillful in plain, a man of valor. Listen to how the descriptions changed from the last section. A man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and here's the most important descriptor, the Lord is with him. See, now David's got some credentials. What's the difference? He's not too impressive before. Now he's impressive. The Spirit has come. He's been anointed. The Spirit of God has descended upon him, and now he's impressive. He's a man of valor. He's like, this is someone who we can be like, yeah, this man will go to war for us. He has a good presence about him. The Lord is with him. And so Saul says, okay, bring the guy in. And then we can see 
David fulfilling his calling in verse 22. So Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, whenever his soul was in torment, in anguish, whenever he was agonized, David took the lyre, a harp, and played it with his hand. And so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Isn't this God's way? I mean, think about that. Saul's been on the decline. He's been opposing God. So there's a sense where he's an enemy of God now. Like he doesn't want to listen to what God has to say. Disobeying Samuel was the equivalent of disobeying Saul. That's what we're supposed to see in the, or disobeying God. Okay? That's what we're supposed to see. But the prophet represents the word of God, the commands of God, and he's disobeying them. He's trying to do things his own way. And so he's opposed to God. And yet God, this is his enemy, and he brings alleviation to him. He brings comfort and relief through his servant to his enemy. So let's go back to Vader for a moment. Get to the end of the story, Return of the Jedi, my favorite Star Wars of all time. And Vader's discovered he has a son. He brings his son before his master, before his mentor, his, the Dark Lord Sidious, Emperor Palpatine. And they're trying to allure Luke to the dark side. They say, reject the light, reject what's good. Don't do what Obi-Wan's told you and Yoda's told you, like, come over to the dark side. And it ends up Luke and Vader getting this big fight, and eventually Luke just yields. He throws his lightsaber down. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to the dark side. I know there's still good in my father. And the emperor, have it your way, right? <laughs> And he starts sending the, the force lightning onto Luke, and he starts tormenting Luke. He's tortured. He's in agony there on the ground. And Vader is looking at his son, and he's looking at his master, and he's looking at his son, and he's looking at his master. And then light comes into Vader's heart, and he is redeemed. He picks the emperor up, and he throws him into a fiery furnace to save his agonized son. Compassion comes back into him. Redemption comes back to his story arc. Are we seeing the image, friends? Who's the agonized son that we're to look to for alleviation and relief? Who's the agonized son that we look to that we look upon his agony, his torment, the torture he goes through, and redemption comes into our hearts. The light of the gospel, good news of God, comes into our hearts and changes us from the inside out. It's Jesus Christ, crucified on the cross. This is how God works. He brings alleviation, relief, comfort to an agonized soul through his own agony. I mean, isn't the gospel beautiful? Isn't it amazing? This blows my mind every time I stop to think about this, that the agony of God's son is what redeems my heart. It's what redeems your heart. 
So for some of you in this room, that's hitting you in a fresh way for the first time. You came in here, and maybe you put on a good face. And it looks like you're all put together, but deep down in your heart, you're tortured. You're afflicted. You're agonized. And through Jesus Christ, God is offering you alleviation. You've never felt anything like that before. And whether you were invited here by someone, or you've been coming for a while, or this is your first time and you just decided to go to church today on Sunday, there are plenty of people, there are plenty of Christians in this room that would love to talk to you about that. So grab somebody. Don't let the moment pass you by. Experience the fullness of God's Spirit breaking through to your heart. Talk to somebody. For others of you, you are a believer. But you've been tormented as well. And just because we're Christians, that does not mean that torment, agony, suffering does still not come into our lives. And so for you, maybe it's just remembering, yes, God wants to alleviate the suffering of my soul. He sees my agony just as he saw the agony of his own son. He knows what it's like to go through deep torment. And so the call for you is to, to continue to, to look to Jesus. He knows what it's like to be rejected, to be despised, to feel you know, that sense of, of shame. Everybody's looking at you. Ugh. Jesus knows that struggle. And he wants to bring alleviation to your soul. And then finally, the question I think that we should leave from this final section is, who is God calling you to offer alleviation to? God's spirit came upon David, and he went in and just played a harp for a man, gave him musical therapy. <laughs> so what gifts has God given you that he's asked you to steward? Well, that maybe there is someone in your community, in your neighborhood, at your work, in your family, in this very room that you know is agonized, is tormented. And where might God be calling you to go bring them some sense of alleviation to their soul? To just see them. Say, hey, I see you. I know the pain you're in. And all I got is a cup of soup. I, I think it's really good soup. I know how to make good soup. And whatever we've got, friends, like use it. <laughs> Take your gift before the Lord and give it to your suffering friend, your suffering neighbor, your suffering coworker. Because here's what the Apostle Paul says, and I'll close with this, okay? Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. So that, why? Why does he comfort us in our affliction? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, God wants us to experience his comfort, and then pass it along. 
It's not just something we keep to ourselves. No, we pass it along. So spirit comes to David. He experiences comfort, right? Like he didn't ever think he was going to be a king. He was a little runt. <laughs> and yet he comes and he brings alleviation to Saul's soul. And we embrace that. And God is calling us to bring alleviation to the world. So no matter what state you're in, may we just believe that we can endure because God will provide in the midst of our pain and our agony through his spirit. And not only will he provide for us, but he can use us to provide for others. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for the wonderful truths that you've given us here in your word this morning. It's been a refreshing reminder for me that I can get so caught up in the frantic and the frenzy and the, the, the anxiousness, the fear that is across our country right now that's within the church. And that I can forget you want me to lean in, to be curious, and that you'll provide clarity on where I need to, to go to use the gifts that you've given me, that you've given me your Holy Spirit, that you've given me gifts and talents and things that I can use to spread your kingdom across the valley. So what a helpful refresher and reminder for me, and I pray that it was a refreshing reminder for many in this room as well. May we not forget that you've empowered us with your Holy Spirit to go. And thank you for Jesus and the gift that he is. That he knows what it's like to be tortured and agonized afflicted in soul, in body, and the comfort that you offer us in him, we can pass along. So help us to embrace it, to experience it, and pass it along. I pray this in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name.